Warning, content not suitable for children. Listener discretion advised, yo. Screaming Chewy Show, your source of entertainment and overall fuckery. And the show starts now. This episode is brought to you by Dubby Energy. Tired? Hmm? Craving an energy drink, but you don't want to feel shitty and jittery afterwards? Well, try Dubby. Dubby Energy has this Nero Factor. It's a patented all-natural coffee cherry extract to help fuel you. Yeah, this ingredient is what gives Dubby its laser-focused and fast reflex effects, making it perfect for gamers. So, whether it's just had a long night, you know, just need some energy to go to work, Maybe a pre-workout or you want to get some gaming done. Dubby is for you. I highly recommend this. And they got some amazing flavors as well. Uh, very creative too, such as Dragonade, right? Dragonberry and Lemonade. Um, Galaxy Grenade. Beach and Peach. Yes, delicious. It's basically Kool-Aid that gets you pumped. So what the hell are you waiting for? Check them out at Dubby.gg. That's D-U-B-B-Y dot G-G. Yeah, and guess what? And for 10% off, at checkout, enter this coupon code, right? I got you. It's Screaming Chewy SH, all right? All together, caps. Screaming Chewy SH. And yeah, you got 10% off. Dobby, check them out. Everyone, welcome back to another exciting episode of Screaming Chewy Show. And I'd like to welcome back actor and comedy legend, Larry Hankin. How you doing, Larry? I'm doing fine. Um, I, I'm just finding out. Uh, I didn't know I was a comedy legend, but cool. I mean, oh, hey, yeah. I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take it. No, I just, I, that's, a, that's a weird thing about acting in, in movies and TV sitcoms and stuff. is They're just... One job after another, you know, you audition or they call you or and you just go in and you do it. And so I don't, I don't follow me. I, I don't, I don't keep track of all this stuff. You know, you just, you wake up and you go for an audition you get it. You don't get it, whatever. And you can just go on to the next one. So uh, there's a lot of times where I'll be really surprised at what, you know, you guys re- remember that I did or saw that I did. And now with this digital stuff, you know, uh, there's, I've, I've done, now this is what I've been told, so I don't know, like I don't follow me, but I've been told by other podcasters that I've done about somewhere between 192 and 207 jobs, acting jobs, characters. That's, yeah, that's amazing, but I didn't know that. So they start talking about this stuff, and because it's digital, with the internet and TV and stuff and different platforms, I am positive that I'm never off the air. That, yes. so that, that you know, they're, they're always showing something that I did somewhere in the world. You know, uh, obscure little ones or, you know, huge big hits. So that's really kind of weird. I, I really can never wrap my head around that. Um, because to me, I'm just a guy, you know. I mean, I do laundry, you know. I take out the garbage. And then all of a sudden, I walk down the street and people say hi to me. <laughs> oh, I, I guess he's something television. I, I don't know that guy. You know, so it's kind of, it's, it's hard to get used to, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, fame is not, is not what I thought it would be, you know. It, it, you can't control it. It just happens randomly. You know, fame. 
I go into a supermarket and somebody comes up to me and says, I love your work. Oh, thank you. Well, what have I done? What, what did I do? <laughs> the way I pick oranges here, the way I'm looking at the, no, no, you're acting. Oh, oh, okay. Thank you very much. I really <laughs> like that. It's, yeah, it's strange. It's a trip. You know, I, you know, yeah. as a kid, I seen you in a whole bunch of movies and shows. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I haven't. <laughs> That's the difference <laughs> between you and me. If you've seen me in these things, but I haven't. <laughs> you know, sometimes I'll watch and sometimes I won't. And sometimes I won't watch it until years later when somebody will tell me, hey, I just saw you on TV last night. And I go, what was I in? And then they'll mention something that I did maybe 20 years ago. And I go, I don't even remember that, man. But, <laughs> but thanks, you know, thanks for the heads up. Uh, yeah, how did I do? Was it okay? <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, I mean, it's cool because, uh, basically it's the residuals that are, that are cool. I mean, every time it shows somewhere, I mean, I get like a dollar or sometimes I get $200. Sometimes I'll get like, they'll, they'll back the, hold them until they get a batch. This is SAG after the union, you know, the holder. I get a batch. So sometimes I got a check for about $5,000. I mean, that's just not for one show. That may be for 10 or 15 shows. They just held and mailed the whole check to me. Oh, nice. So, you know, you never go. It's so random. It is so, I mean, the fame that I, the fame of my, of me, you know, I'm not, like Steven Spielberg has a whole different level of, Spiel, of, of, of fame. But my fame is, it's kind of, kind of cool it doesn't get in my face it's just you never know when it's gonna, gonna pop up you know right like uh, i remember last time i had you on you were telling me a story where this guy he was a drug dealer right and he's like you look familiar and he pointed a gun oh. at you, thought you were a cop but turns out he just seen you right with shows. the gun oh man yeah but he had the gun to my head man that's scary i mean i no, I've never, well, uh, I've, I've, my, my life has been threatened. Uh, well, that was the only time because of show business. I mean, he recognized me, yeah, but he didn't know where. He said he had a photographic memory. Yeah, but, so, but he pulled a gun. I mean, I don't remember what he looked like too much, but I do remember what the gun looked like. I mean, Damn. man, that's where my focus was. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, and, and, I was invited to his birthday party. Luckily, the guy I showed up with, you know, calmed this, this, this drug dealer down and said, no, man, you know, have you ever seen the committee? Well, you, you, you know, and, and he said, oh, yeah, right. Oh, yeah, I like your work. <laughs> he takes the gun away from my head and says, hey, man, I like your work. <laughs> I mean... My, he threatened my life. And then he goes, no, man, I'm, I'm a big fan of yours. <laughs> Whoa, that was close. You know, you don't need many fans like that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you, 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 and you've been doing uh, this a long time, right? You got some anniversaries coming up? Well, again, like, I don't know. Uh, I just know when they, when, like, somebody calls me and says, uh, like they did two, two and three days ago, they called me and said, Hey, Planes, Trains, and Automobile has a Blu-ray anniversary, uh, you know, album uh, disc coming out, and you're on it as the extra. And I go, Oh, cool, man, that's great. You know, will they send me one? And they go, No, you got to go out and buy it. So, well, <laughs> my fame didn't work that good. That good for me, but but it's it's cool because you know my stuff is out there. Whatever I did, I still haven't seen it. I don't know. I don't know what I did on either one of them. Damn. I, yeah, I, I remember shooting the the film short. He was shooting the film short at the same time. This John Hughes from Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. He was sh shooting the film short on Warner Brothers Dime because he, you know, we were shooting the the, the feature film, you know, taxi scene inside the cab, and that was on a soundstage. So, uh, and he booked an entire day because he had a lot of money. It was a big major 
I mean, he was a big star by then, John Hughes. He could ask for, you know, whatever money he wanted for a movie. Mm-hmm. So he asked for a lot of money. So he had to, he booked the sound stage. He's on, you know, on one of the big lots of Warner Brothers here in Hollywood. He booked the sound stage for um, a whole day. But the scene in the taxi cab that appears in the movie, it's only like maybe a, a three minute scene, maybe. And so it would only take about two hours to shoot it. But John Hughes knew that the rest of the day he wanted to shoot a film short. So he just kept us there in the taxi cab, you know, as a shell. It was up on boxes. The, the, the car was up on boxes in the sound stage. So he had the rest of the day, you know, free to do whatever he wanted. He, he knew what he wanted to do. He wanted to shoot a film short. So for the rest of the day, me and John and Steve and John Hughes and his camera crew just shot this film short. And I've never seen it. Uh, and this was, you know, years ago when we shot the movie. But Christopher Columbus, who directed, what did he, he directed, um, wow, I don't know what, maybe he directed Home Alone, maybe? But, yeah, I don't know. I was working for him. It was a John Hughes movie, but Christopher Columbus was directing. And and one day, I uh, this is about a couple of years ago, four or five years ago, so kind of recently. I'm in this delicatessen, and I hear, hey, Larry, and it's Christopher Columbus with his family. They're eating there. And he calls me over to the table, and he goes, you know, hey, I just wanted to say that I saw the film, and it's really great. And I thought he was talking about trains, planes, and auto, uh, trains, planes, and automobiles. And I go, oh, yeah, well, it's a really funny movie. I, I really like the movie. Uh, and I, I said, where did you see it? And he said, at, at the John Hughes house for his birthday. What? And he showed a feature film at, for his birthday at his house. He said, no, 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 the film short. And I go, what film short? We didn't shoot the film short. And then it reminded me of that one day where we shot the, 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 the feature film thing, and then he shot what, what he said was going to be a film short, but we didn't know that. I mean, we, he was using the same equipment and the same crew for the feature film. We thought he just didn't know what he was talking about. <laughs> so, yeah, we just kept on going. Said, well, maybe it's a long scene for the movie. Maybe that's what he was talking about. But anyway, no. So Chris said, "No, it's a it's a ten minute film short," and he showed it at his birthday party, John Hughes' birthday party, at his house. And he said it was really hysterical. And I go, "Wow, I, I never even heard about that." So since that time, four years ago, in his delicatessen, I've been asking around people all over Hollywood, "Have you seen this John Hughes movie, a film short with me and John Candy?" No. Uh, and then some guy called me up two days ago. He said, hey, well, the film short came out. It's on the Blu-ray disc with the feature. Really? So I still haven't seen it. I don't know. But, but I mean, see, that's the kind of fame I have. I, I, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Nobody tells me what's going on. Nobody tells me that I'm famous until somebody calls me and says, hey, you're famous. <laughs> oh, okay. Cool, man. I love it. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. Uh, so that's why when, when people say, hey, you know, we'll talk about anything you want. I don't really know what to talk about because I don't know what you guys know. All the interviewers, all the podcast interviews that I've done, I've done hundreds in the last couple of years. They know more about my, my what I do than I do. You know, I just go home and then, you know, I live in a neighborhood. I don't, I don't live in Malibu. I, I live in the neighborhood. <laughs> so I don't make the connections that if you're famous enough to live in Malibu, then yeah, you know you're famous. See, there's a fire engine going by my house. Could be this, this apartment. I live in an apartment. Now. This apartment house could be on fire. I, these, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, it, it's really weird. Where I live, which is it's about four blocks from the beach in an apartment house in Santa Monica, and there's three fire engine houses in this 
kind of area. I, I don't know where they come from, but I know this. I pass when I drive around two of them, and then there's a third one. So in this area where I live, and in this four or five block area in this neighborhood, all day long and mostly at night, I guess because I live near the beach and there's a lot of old people maybe. I mean, I don't know. Or, or, mm. or, or a lot of people set fires. <laughs> but all I hear at night are ambulances and fire engines. What? <laughs> and motorcycles. And, and motorcycles. So I don't know what's going on if people are setting fires. But more than in any other neighborhood I've ever lived in. And I've, you know, lived around the country a lot. Moving around. But it's constant, man. And uh, I, I live here because... I like the beach, and I, I grew up near the beach on the East Coast. So it's not, I am attracted to the beach. But these fire engines, uh, so I don't, you know, I, I, I'm removed from fame. And I'm kinda, it's kind of cool, actually, being removed from fame. I know famous people. I go to their parties. And it's not that, I don't, I don't know if it's, I, I don't know if I want to be famous. I, I really don't. I think I kind of like the thing that I have. Mm-hmm. You know, people call me. Say, say that again? Oh, it's more chill, right? More nonchalant? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm able to chill because I, I like to work on my own. I paint. Uh, I write. I'm writing a, I'm, I'm writing a, a fictional novel right now, uh, like, like a memoir. And the book that, that I did write and that got, it just got published a couple of weeks ago. Um, and it's coming out, like I say, in, um, in September 16th of 2023. And it's a memoir of all my, the acting that, that I'm famous for, that you have grown up on, that, that it, it turns out millions of people all over the world have grown up on the movies I've been in. They're, they're, they're not my movies. See, that's the thing. I'm a, I'm a second banana. You know, I, I act with, big stars like Clint Eastwood, John Candy, Steve Martin. And they're really great, man. I, 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 that's the part that I love. It's Steve Martin is amazing. I just got to say that. What is the most dangerous book you have ever read? How about Mein Kampf by the notorious leader of the Nazis, Adolf Hitler? Or the book the Beatles warn us about in their classic song, Revolution? Quotations from Chinese Communist leader, Chairman Mao. Maybe you would hide your copy of Bertrand Russell's Why I'm Not a Christian. Or even semi-fictional works like Salman Rushdie's book, The Satanic Verses. That book had him living in hiding from angry Muhammad followers. But what about a book that is most likely not only dangerous to own and read, but could very well be illegal in many countries? Roderick Edwards' book, How to Overthrow Our Government, takes the reader on a historical and hypothetical journey of revolution, civil war, and sedition. From ancient Chinese farmers turning their farm tools into weapons to the attempted impeachment of the U.S. President Trump. This book has it all. Get it today before it's banned forever. Uh, I I thought, you know, I've been a fan of Steve Martin since he was a stand-up comedian. I've been watching him. I grew up with him, you know, too. Uh, And, um, but when I was working with him, you know, in, in trains, planes, and automobiles, in the car, you know, I thought, wow, I'm working with Steve. And John, I worked with before on, uh, what was it, um, Armed and Dangerous. And he's a cool guy. John Candy is just what, you, 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 you get what you see. He's like a regular guy. He's very famous, but he doesn't, he doesn't seem so. Oh, okay. Uh, he doesn't act, he doesn't act famous. He, he doesn't seem famous. He doesn't dress famous. Uh, but he is one funny guy. Let me tell you that. I mean, that's, that's right on. <laughs> and, and the, see, when I'm, maybe when I'm funny or when Steve Martin was funny or, you know, you kind of expect it from, from Steve Martin. If he's funny, you kind of, well, he's a funny guy, man. And, but John Candy looks so innocuous, so ordinary, yeah. so human. That you don't expect him to say these really funny, far-out things. And so when he just says it, you fall down and laughing because it was so surprising. <clears throat> out of nowhere. And he just, 
Yeah, out of nowhere. I mean, he it doesn't really, he doesn't do a setup and a punchline. He just says something, and it's funny. I remember when we were working on uh, what was it, um, Armed and Dangerous, and um, there's two things where he stuck up for me. You know, I did something funny, and the director didn't get it, but John did. John Candy did. He thought it was really funny, so the director said to me, and I was. We were standing in line. It was a scene where we were standing in line and getting our flashlights and guns in Armed and Dangerous. So we, we played, uh, you know, hired, hired cops, you know, cops for hire. And so we were getting our flashlights and guns. And my character was named uh, Kowalski. And uh, I wore a headband, you know, like, uh, like guys in the, in the hood. <laughs> you know, like a red hair, a red a red headband, or a, you know, gangster. blue one gangster. Yeah. So that was Kowalski's character, but he was on acid. So that was his. That was written in the oh, script. Shit. He was a gangster, uh, wannabe cop, hired hired cop, uh, and uh, he yeah, and he was on acid, and he was a gangster. So I'm standing online, and John Candy is behind me. So the whole scene was just, you know, here's your gun, here's your flashlight, next. Here's your gun, here's your flashlight, next. And that was it. That was the entire scene, just a little insert. And John Candy was behind me. And it was to establish that John Candy was getting his gun and his flashlight. I just happened to be in the line in front of him. But we worked together in the film. I always worked with John's character, my character. So we put him to, he put us together, the director, and he said, okay. So since I was supposed to be on acid, I figured, what can a guy on acid do if he was getting a gun and a flashlight? What would this gangster do? Hmm. So I thought, well, it would be obvious if I fooled around with the gun, you know, scared everybody. So I didn't want to do that. And anyway, I mean, it's, it's too big. You know, I mean, the scene is just getting your gun in there. So you can't do anything extra. So I thought, okay, what I'll do is, if I'm on acid, is as soon as I get the flashlight and the gun, I'll turn on the flashlight and stare into the light. That would be an acid thing to do. <laughs> oh, mesmerizing. Which is what I did. Which is what I did. And you laugh. You did. And I'm just telling you that. Well, Don Candy is standing behind me, and he broke down laughing. And so did the crew. They weren't expecting that. It wasn't in the script. They just said, you know, he, Kowalski gets his flashlight and his, his, uh, his gun. Move on. Next person. So everybody laughs, which ruined the shot. You know, you could hear the laughter of everybody, you know, so that was no good. So they had to do it again. So the director says, okay, we're going to do it again. And then he comes up to me and he said, what, what the hell was this flashlight thing you were doing? So I said, oh, I was staring into it because I'm on acid. Now, I was speaking for the character. I mean, that's how into it I get with my characters. I start to speak from their point of view while I'm on the set and in the costume and ready to shoot it. You know, I'm trying to just kind of improvise into the character. So he says, what was that? I said, well, I'm on acid and I'm staring into the camera, uh, into the light. Now, the director, who this was his first time director, James, I forget his name. But he thought I was talking for me, Larry Hankin. I'm on acid. (laughs) So he took that as, right. He took it as, oh, my God, this guy's on acid. And now I didn't know that that's the way he took it. He He didn't say that. But many years later, he came up to me and apologized for the way he treated me for the rest of the time I was on the movie. <laughs> he treated me like I was on acid. And the way that he did that was he avoided me at all costs, wouldn't talk to me. And if he had to give me a direction, he'd talk loud and he'd stand far away from me. he said, <laughs> okay, just Kowalski, stand over there. Just stand over there. Okay, and, and, and they'd go on. And so I was at a, oh, I think it was at the screening for the movie. And uh, so he waited out front. 
And he said to me, uh, you know, well, we're going into the movie, to, to the screening room. And when I, you know, came in just to see the movie, now I had none of this that I'm telling you about. He thought I was really on air. I didn't know about any of this. I didn't know that that's why he was treating me that way. I thought it was very strange. I asked other people on the set if they, if it, was he talk, does he talk loud to you and stand away from you and doesn't, they don't know, man. He's just the director. Yeah. Wow, man, because he's doing that to me. I don't know why. <laughs> so when when it came for the screening, he pulls me aside and he says, can I talk to you loud? I go, okay, yeah, what, what do you want? And he goes, look, I want to apologize to you for the way I treated you on the set. And I go, well, what did you do? I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. And he goes, you know, when I was talking loud to you and I wouldn't, I wouldn't pay any attention to you or I wouldn't give you any direction. I go, yeah, I thought that was really weird, but you know, I direct however you want. I, you know, I'm just a hired hand. He says, no, no, I thought you were on acid. You told me that you were on acid, so I thought you were on acid, not the character. So I want to apologize. So he goes, ah, oh. so I go, oh, okay, that's, that's cool. And he says, so, so when you go in to see the movie, so now he's going on to something else. And I go, now what? She says, when you go in to see the movie, um, I, I didn't do any coverage of you because I thought you were an acid and I didn't want to deal with you. I go, what are you talking about? So when I went in to see the movie, and you can go see the movie. I mean, there's no reason to go see the movie, but it's in the movie. And here's what he did. What he did was, uh, you know, you know about coverage. You know, in other words, if I'm talking to you and we're in the same scene, if there's a close-up on you talking, then you have to have an exact same framing close-up on me listening to you. Mm. So it's a close-up of you talking to a close-up of me listening. So in other words, you have to have matching shots or it looks weird, you know, a close-up on you and then you go to a long shot of me. It, it's hard to read for the audience to understand who is he talking to. Mm -hmm. Okay, so... So that's what is generally done and in the movie. That's what happens. He's matching shots. But in in this movie, and this is what he was warning me about, when you go in to see the movie, if there's anybody talking to Kowalski in the entire movie, there's a close-up on them talking, and then there's only a long shot, a group shot. In other words, a long shot is a group shot. And there's only a group shot of me listening. <laughs> and, it and, it's, and, and he said, and before I went in, he says, and the reason I did that is I didn't want to deal with you. And I thought you were high on acid. So your part that you were playing, that I thought you were really on acid, but you were acting on acid. I thought th that the producers would cut you out of the movie entirely because you're on acid. So I didn't bother to cover you because I thought I need the time for other scenes. So I'm not going to set up on you. I'll just move on to the next scene and we won't even use your scene. He said, oh however, God. yeah. So he says, when they were editing the movie, you know, in the, in the, in the editing, room, and he was there with the editor, the, the director, the producers were also in the editing room editing the movie. And when they saw the editor and him, the director, cutting out my scenes, the producers had a shit set, man. They go, what are you doing? What are you doing? That guy's funny. He says, yeah, but he's on acid. I don't care what. He's on. He's funny. You put him back in the movie. And he said they forced him. The producers forced the director and the editor to go through the editing bit. This is where all the, the outtakes are thrown go through the, and pulled out all of the scenes that they threw away of mine and put it in, whether they had somebody talking to me or not. <laughs> in other words, <laughs> you know, they wanted anything that I was in, they wanted me in the movie because Kowalski was funny. He wanted acid, man. Yeah. So it's weird. When I went in to see the movie, it was a trip, you know, in the screening room. It was really a trip for me to watch how there's a lot of shots where there's no reason to cut to me and then they cut to me. Or, more importantly, you see somebody talking and then they cut to a crowd shot of me in it. <laughs> now, if you don't know the rules of, of editing, maybe you don't notice it. 
But if you do know how they edit movies, it's just a weird, weird thing to do. But I mean, see that that now when uh, when um, the director uh, was doing this to me, like when John Candy was standing behind me, and I stared into the real flashlight, John Candy laughed, you know, and, and then the director said, "Cut! No, no, don't do that." And here's what actually happened. John Candy was, was was standing behind me, so he was next to me when the director came over and said, what the hell are you doing? And I said, I'm on ass and I'm looking into the flashlight. And he said, don't do that. And John Candy was standing right there. And he was a star of the movie, so he could say this. He said, hey, hey man, this is, this, that was funny. Why are you cutting it out? And he said, because it's not funny. And he didn't want to say this guy's on ass in front of everybody. He was being kind to me. The <laughs> so he said, no, no, it's not funny. It's not going in the movie. And John said, no, no, it really is. But the director said, uh, it's, it's out. And, that, and that's it. We're moving on. And so John looked at me, because we were friends. I mean, we used to talk off, you know, off camera. Mm-hmm. So John looked at me and shrugged and said, you know, hey, man, he's the director. I can't, you know, I can't insist. I'm not that, I'm not that big a star. So I said, well, no, okay. It's okay, John. I, I don't mind. Because I didn't, know, I didn't know what the, what the director was talking about. I thought, you know, well, this is some weirdness. Let's move on. But then, man, and this I've never seen. The cinematographer came over to the oh, see here. See here's another firing. <laughs> another you know fire. Going. About? <laughs> yeah, yeah. This, my building could be on fire. I don't know. They just keep on going by. Thank God. Okay. So anyway, uh, so the the cinematographer, and he was a very famous cinematographer. I forget his name now, but. I, I knew he was famous. He did a lot of big movies. Um, he came over to the director. While we're standing there, John Candy, me, the director, and now the cinematographer comes over and he goes, and this is what I like about movies, is the way movies are really made, which is what I'm talking. It's not like smooth and everything is really great. The cinematographer comes over to the director and me and John Candy, and he goes, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why are we moving on? why did you cut the scene when Larry was doing the thing with the flashlight? And he said, because it's not funny. It's not gonna, we're not going to use his part in it. We're just going to get, I'll just get a cut of John getting the, the flashlight and that's it. Oh, damn. And he goes, no, yeah. And, and the, the cinematographer is no, 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 no. That, that, that should go in the movie. That, that's a laugh. You know, you, and he said, you know, there's not that many laughs in this movie. We got to keep everyone we can. <laughs> so, he said, so he said that that should. Now we didn't insist. He didn't insist in the photography, but that should go in the movie. Uh, and and the director said, no, it's not, and that's it. So he's like putting his foot down. Now it became a, like a little fight, and there was like tension on the set where the cinematographer, who's been around and this first time director is, you know, fighting about, like as a standoff, about who's going to do the next shot. And the cinematographer said, being, you know, like diplomatic, he said, look, I'll tell you what, let's, let me, the, the cinematographer, let me do the, the scene one more time. Let Larry look into the camera. And, and let me just, we'll, we'll, we'll do it in, we'll, we'll do it in the editing room. We'll, we'll suss it out in the editing room. Just let me, and l- let me get my crew to watch just, just to see the reaction. Okay. So now everybody is standing around watching this. I mean, there was like a hundred people. It's a big, big time movie. They were standing around watching us argue on the set, you know, just the four of us, John and, and only the cinematographer. So, so this is, I've never seen this done. I mean, so the cinema, so the director, just because he was a beginner, didn't want any more trouble. So he said, okay, but then we're moving on. You can shoot it one more time, but I don't care what happens. We're moving on and we're just keeping the, and, and the, I don't know how he said, maybe he'll just cut that scene out. I don't know how he's going to get John Candy getting his gun. I didn't, I don't know how they were going to do that if they cut my scene out, but he said, all right, let's just do it again, and then we're moving on. And he like, was like putting his foot down, I'm the boss. So the cinematographer says, okay. And then he says, 
And then he yells out. Now, this, we're on a big soundstage. And he goes, I'd like my crew, the cinematographer said, I'd like the cinematography crew, the camera crew, who is not working on this scene to gather around the set and watch this scene. And nice. Yeah, so all the, you know, there's about like 10 or 15 guys who were in the camera crew. It was a big budget movie, gathered around the set, and they didn't know. They were, you know, all looking at one another, like, what the fuck is going on there? And he said, I just want you to look, I want you to watch this scene. That's all. Thank you. And then the cinematographer took over, and he says, okay, everybody get in their places, camera, okay, blah, blah, blah. And he said, okay, Larry, do what you did with the camera, with the flashlight. John, everybody line up, give him the thing. Okay, and action. So they shoot the scene, and as soon as the cinematographer, you know, they go, blah, 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 I, I look into the camera, I look into the flashlight, John Candy comes, gets his gun and flashlight, the cinematographer yells, cut! And the film crew that gathered around the set broke down laughing. <laughs> and then the cinematographer says, what are you guys laughing at? And they said, well, that guy, he, Kowalski, he's looking into the flashlight, he's on acid. And the cinematographer just looked at the director and shrugged his shoulders and he said, <laughs> well, let's just figure it out in editing, let's move on. Now. And son of a gun, if that, that scene got in the movie. But I mean, see, that's the thing about that, about Hollywood and making movies that I focus on, not on in fame, or, or it's, it's how movies are made, the process. That's how movies are made. That's not, that's not weirdness. That's called Hollywood making a movie. Yeah, the fights that go on on the set, the, the cinematographer taking over the director, the director wants to, you know, be the boss, uh, actors who screw up. I mean, that's what my book is about. The bar is open. Sit back, grab a cold one, and get ready for the news you didn't even know you needed. From the frozen wasteland of western North Dakota to the tropical playground of Florida, it's time for tales of wonder and amazement. Put the kids to bed and pour yourself a drink. Lock the doors and close the blinds. Break out the cocaine and hookers. It's time for Happy Hour News. It's about, the title of the book is called, the one that's coming out in September, is called That Guy, because people always stop me on the street and say, hey man, you're that guy in that movie. So I call it that guy. But but the movie, but the book is about those kind of things, the screw-ups in the set, uh, and and the the screw-ups and what happens on the set, right before the shot, right after the shot. And the name of the book is that guy, a cautionary tale. Now they try to take the cautionary tale off the book. The, the publishers they don't they don't like that mm. because he's not happy. I, thought, I don't want it to be happy. It's a cautionary. Now the book is funny. It's very funny because all these fuck ups are funny, <laughs> and I'm a funny guy. I mean, I can't write an unfunny book. I mean, I just don't know how to do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I describe something, it's funny yeah. for some reason. I don't know how, but. But um, when it, the, they didn't let me, I, it, it won't come on. It was a cautionary tale because I wanted to tell people that this is a memoir of how movies are made and they're not made the way you think they're made. They're not made the way you see them when you go to the movies. There's, there's all these fights and sets and going up on lines and forgetting lines and improvising. And the crew, I think the crews are the best part of making movies not the actors maybe the stars because they really know stuff i don't know how to act and stuff but the crews are really amazing because they fix stuff with you know scotch tape bailing wire and <laughs> and just pieces of wood like MacGyver. i mean they 
Yeah, they just MacGyver everything. I mean, I'm sure that's where the guy who wrote MacGyver got the idea from, just watching film crews. They are amazing. Without film crews, you couldn't make a movie. I mean, you try it. I, I've made my own movies. You know, yeah, I save up money and I go out and make a film short. Um, man, it's hard because the location you go to doesn't know about making movies. You know, they're a location. They're a real place. Or when you, you know, when you go to a soundstage, which is, you know, okay, you're surrounded. You're in movie time. And still, things fuck up. Lights blow up. You know, in the scene, um, am I going on too long here? Am I <laughs> using up your time? Or something? Oh, no, man. I mean, I'm I can in no go hurry. Forever. I'm in no hurry. Oh, okay. So when I, when I uh, did, there was another movie. What the hell was the name of it? Um, um, it was, and it's a famous scene, and I was okay in Home Alone. Oh, yes. You, you know cop. that. In Home Alone, we're, we're, I'm the cop, Balzac, and, the, and, the, and I'm eating a donut, and, the, mm-hmm. and a piece of donut falls on the, on the phone. Okay. That piece of donut that falls on the phone around the world is more famous than I am. What? That movie. Yeah. That movie is a huge hit all over the world. It's one of the all-time uh, box office greats of all time. Uh, uh, planes, trains, and uh, no, uh, Home Alone. Yeah, Home Alone is one is uh, the third biggest box office of all time. And in that movie, when I walk on the around the world, so when I walk down the street, I'm generally noticed for being on Friends or being Sergeant Balzac and the Crumb. And they come up, oh, hey man, how did you do the Crumb thing? How did you do that? I mean, that's what people ask me, you know, 90% of the time. Okay, so that scene, it's a little scene. I have, I had three lines in it. You want me to go to the house and check on your son? I think it's two lines. That's one line. And Rose, hyper on two. Those are the two lines that I have in this famous of all movies. Okay, and I'm famous for that. I don't know how or why, but I'm famous for that. Everybody who's seen the movie, kids, kids remember that. That mm-hmm. is implanted in their in memory zone. I don't know how that. It just it's hardwired into every. Well, now they're forty or thirty. Yeah, yeah. But, but when I go to shopping, yeah, when I go shopping, grown men will come up to me and go, "Hey, man, how did you do that? Uh, the crumb thing with the phone." And they go, what are you talking about? He said, I grew up every fucking Thanksgiving. And, and the, 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 how did you do that? Okay, so I'm going to tell you how you do that and why I wrote the book. That scene we shot, two lines. It took maybe three minutes to shoot, maybe. Um, we had to shoot that 11 times, just over and over and over. Why? Because things started to fuck up on the set. And the reason that I was hired for it was because that was just a walk-on. I mean, they wouldn't call me to do that. But I was hired as a replacement for Daniel Stern. Yeah, Home Alone. Yeah, Daniel Stern. He was going to quit. Him and Joe Pesci were in Home Alone, right? They're Mm -hmm. big stars. They were going to do it. But... When after three days of shooting, Daniel Stearns wanted to quit because he wanted as much money as Joe Pesci. No fucking way, man. I mean, there's no comparison. Oh, yeah. So, uh, and, you know, I mean, Joe Pesci is, you know, an, an icon of mine. I mean, he's a hero. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, but Daniel Stearns wanted more money, so they're going to fire him. And they didn't know how to replace Daniel Stern because it would be somebody who can you know, be with Joe Pesci. So they called me. I was going to replace Daniel Stern in that movie. And I go, wow, man, that is so heavy duty. But Daniel Stern came and no, okay, I want to be in the movie with Joe Pesci. Uh, I, I won't ask for more money. But up until he came, they were going to hire me. So they called me up and they said, hey, it's off. And I was packed. They were ready to catch a plane. I mean, they had me pack and they had my plane 
book to fly to Chicago to replace him. So they called me. I had to call the ticket off, and they called me. They said, hey, forget it. We're sorry. Daniel Stern Cave, it's off. And I, and I felt very depressed, but hey, that's, that's show business. You know, you just get over it and go on. It's just another job. There's always another one. Okay. About a month later, I get a call from the producers of Trains, Planes, and, uh, of, uh, Home Alone. And they go, uh, listen, um, real, my agent called and he says, Hey man, uh, Home Alone called, and they want you in the movie again. I go, oh, man, I'm not going to go through this. What? <laughs> Who do they want me to replace now? And they said, no, it's not that. It's that they think the movie, and this is true. This is really what they said. They said, they think the movie is cursed. I swear to God. C-U-R-S-E-D. Oh, cursed. Which is ridiculous, man. I mean, this is Hollywood. I mean, what do you mean it's cursed? He says, no, no. They, they think, and I asked the producers and they, they said this is true. They said to my agent that they were sorry that they didn't hire me, not because Daniel Stern was bad, no, but that they jerked me around, that they said they were going to hire me and then they said, no, it's off. And they had me all set with the plane ticket and packing and every, everything. And they think, pardon me, the movie is cursed because they did that to me. Now, now that, that is, sounds bizarre and it's, uh, yes, but that's the real skinny that I got. From, not only from my agent, but when I got there, I asked them about it. And they said, yeah, that's, that's true. That's why you're here. Because they were embarrassed to call me for just two lines. I mean, I, I, my pay scale was a little above that. So, you know, and, they, and now I said, well, and I said, even though the movie is cursed, you want me to do two lines. I don't think I can do that. I mean, I don't think that would be good for me to go down to another pay level just to do two lines to do you a favor when I get thousands of dollars to do parts in movies that are much larger. So it doesn't work out in the, in the scheme of things. I, I, so I can't do it. So they said, well, no, we understand that. That's why we'll fly you first class, give you a limousine there and back on both ends, first class, and we'll pay you. $10,000 to do the two lines. Would you do it? And I go, you bet I will. You wow. kidding? Yeah, wow. man. And that's what they did. They said, you got to fly out tomorrow morning. And I said, you got it, man. I'm there. And he said, we'll fly you back the same because it's only going to take four minutes, maybe an hour with setting up and lights. You get there. We'll have it set up as soon as you shoot it, which will be about an hour. You will get there. We've got your plane already booked. You'll get there at 11 a.m. You shoot until 12 a.m. We get you back to the airport. You fly out at 3 p.m. And you can have dinner in your apartment or you can have dinner in Hollywood. You can sleep in your own bed for $10,000. I go, oh, you man, of course. Yeah, I'm there. So I flew in. Boom, they set it up. Everything was ready. My costume was ready. Only here's what he did. He said, we'll... You can have any prop you want. Uh, I mean, what do you mean? So, well, you know, I mean, well, look, as long as you're flying and as long as we're paying you all this money, we might as well give you the whole full, you know, the full board, man. So you, you can wear whatever you want. Uh, I mean, it has to be a cop uniform, but you can wear a hat. You can have a prop. You can, what do you want? You can, anything. I mean, we're paying you a lot of money. So <laughs> go ahead, use it. So I said, okay, I want one glazed donut because I'm a cop and I want to be eating it on the phone. <laughs> and he said, that's it? I go, yeah, that's it. Because, I mean, I don't really take Hollywood serious. I really don't, man. I mean, I never, I wasn't born to be an actor. I never wanted to be an actor. I was an improviser, stand-up comedian, and I became an actor because there was more money and people asked me to be in movies. So I said, okay. 
But I never, you know, dreamed of being an actor. So I don't take anything they tell me really seriously. I take it seriously for a couple of hours, you know, and then you go on with your life. And I still have to do laundry, you know. <laughs> That's how it goes. So he said, okay, you got your one donut. And, and he said, I'll see you there tomorrow morning. Click. I get there, and at first class, everything was fine. Limos, everything. I get there, and he says, here's your costume. Everything was all set up. They're waiting for me. They had a guy standing outside when the limo pulled up. He takes me to the set and he says, your costume is right there. Go in the dressing room, get dressed. We'll put you on. we got the car is waiting. We'll take you back to the airport. So let's just do this. So I said, the first thing I said was, where's my glazed donut? <laughs> and he goes, yeah. So he goes, ah, and he was waiting for me to, sit, to ask that, the producer so he said, bring it in. So they roll in a baker's tray, you know, the, the 20 or 30 shelves on a rolling tray that Holy they have in a bakery. Wow. Of, yeah, a full of glazed donuts, 300 glazed donuts oh on the tray. Oh, my God. So he rolls it in, and they roll it back, and then they roll it right next to the camera. And he said, how's that, Mr. Hankin? And I go, hey, man, I just asked for one. You know, I didn't want to cop to the joke. I didn't want to cop to it. So I remained taciturn. I said, hey, I asked for only one. So he to, uh, up, one up and he goes, well, we may have to do another take. So I go, ha ha, very funny. And I just, you know, get in the set and I said, let's just do this and let me get home. So, you know, alright, it's, it's funny but I'm still not you know, this is too bizarre. The whole pay scale and flight is everything is just too bizarre for me to really cop to it. So we did it 11 times and 11 times I had to eat a donut 11 times. So thank God they had 300 donuts, Holy man, <laughs> because the camera and it wasn't any of my fault. The camera would jiggle or it would go off the dolly track or the dolly shot or one time the Light above, uh, you know, because it was on a soundstage in Chicago, I think. Uh, I know, I don't know where the hell we're shooting, but I don't know. Anyway, a light, a big movie light exploded because it was on too long and it showered down your know, glass all over the set. So we had to shut down for a half hour while they cleaned it up, all the glass. Hey everyone, quick message from Tucson's Rising Phoenix Fitness and Defense. Help treat anxiety and depression with martial arts training and education. Develop the confidence, skills, and fitness you need to stay safe. Our focus is real-world self-defense tactics, practical and effective for everyone. You can find them at 4500 East Speedway Boulevard, number 4, Tucson AZ 85712. Or you can call them at 520 Eight three eight one five nine two. They are open from nine a.m. to nine p.m. So hit them up. Learn martial arts, very therapeutic, and you can learn to kick ass and kick depression's ass as well. So um, hit them up. So something happened eleven times, and I started to think, "Holy cow, this set is cursed." This is what they're talking about. And I could see on the mountain the ninth or tenth time of all these little technical fuck-ups, the producers were turning white, man. They thought, oh, my God, we'll never get this film done. Even Christopher Columbus, who was directing, even he started to get shook. And I was looking at him, and, 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 and it was getting to me. Holy cow, it is cursed. I, I would never have believed this. But on the 11th take, I, you know, and, and well, because of the hot lights and everything, everybody was just getting angry. I mean, come on, man, let's just get on with this. It's a stupid two line thing. They just want to so, go home. <laughs> yeah, they just want to go home. So, um, they on the eleventh time, I'm eating the donut, and for the first time. The scene continues on to the end, and, and Chris Columbus says, cut. And he said, okay, 
uh, moving on, which means that's it. That's the take. We're moving on. So he goes, cut and moving on. And I go, what? And then everybody laughs. Like you wait until you, you keep, you cover your laugh until every, until somebody says cut because you don't want to spoil the take. So when he yelled cut, everybody laughed. And I said, and he said that, okay, Larry, you're dismissed. That was great. And I go, what, what was everybody laughing at? And he says, I'm going to show you. And, and I said, did I fuck up? And he says, I'll show you. He said, because if I fucked up, I want to do it again. I don't want to see me fucking up. So he said, you have to look at this. So when I looked at it, I saw the donut fall on the, on the phone. And I said, all right, man, let's do it again. And he says, no, no, no. This is going to go in the movie. And I said, yeah, but it dropped on the, on the phone, man. Let's just do it again. And he goes, no, Larry, you know what this is called? And I go, no, I don't know what it's called. What is it called? And he said, this is called a money shot, Larry. That's really funny, and it's going in the movie. We made all the laughs we can get. I mean, see, so that's why I wrote the book. Because it's not what you see. It's what you, what you don't see that I love about making movies. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's all those little things that drive people up the wall. And then the camera crew, now in this, instance, the camera crew didn't fix anything. I just, you know. Oh, so I wanted to find out why the donut piece, the crumb, stuck to the phone. Because I, I need, that's my curiosity. I need to find out how things work or why they happen. I need to know that. So I went over to the donut tray. So there's, uh, you know, I don't know, about 290 or 289 donuts left glazed donuts left. So I went over to the donut tray and I looked at all the donuts. I just looked at them. And I found out what the secret was. The secret was the reason that the light above exploded was they were on so long it got too hot because it was really hot on that set. But the glaze on the glazed donut it was so hot that it started to melt. And that glazed donut melting acted as glue. So it was sticky. And so when a piece of crumb with a little glazed donut fell on the phone, it just stuck there. So that was the whole thing. I mean, it's a kind of anticlimactic. The the shoot wasn't cursed at all. You know, mistake, 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 and then a lucky mistake that stuck, you know, and that would have made in the thing. But so th- that's why I wrote the book. So when you when you finally do remember to buy it, if you do, that guy a year from now, that's why I wrote the book. And that's why I titled it, That Guy, A Cautionary Tale. A Cautionary Tale because mistakes happen all the time on movies and nobody talks about it. Every memoir you ever read is about how lucky I was and how great it was acting with this guy and how great it was to do that and how great Hollywood is. I was saying, man, Hollywood is just like any other city. And everybody in Hollywood is not a star when they go home. They have to take out the garbage. And what I see is the person who took out the garbage a couple of hours ago. (laughs) And his name is Clint Eastwood. Big deal. You know, I mean, people are people. (laughs) You know? Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I just wanted to laugh at that. I just wanted to laugh at that, you know. And uh, I don't know. Sometimes people don't get it, but Hollywood isn't magic at all, you know. Hey, it's magic time. You know what the magic the magic is? There is a really magic time. And that when you're acting, when you're in the zone, it's like playing music. It's, you know, and then you hear it back and you go, wow, man, that's so cool. Listen, you know, listen to this, you know, you know listen, listen to this, uh, what do you call it? This, this, um, what do you call it when one musician just takes off and does a, a, a oh, like a, a solo a, or something? A, a solo, a solo, yeah. So, you know, you, you're listening to some music and you say, listen to this solo, or listen to these two guys, you know, JJ and K, trumpets and stuff. Or, you know, Miles Davis or something like that. Well, that happens on a movie set, too, you know, with actor, actors or a great piece of directing. But, but nine, you know, but 90% of the time, you're just trying to do a good job. You're just, you know, just trying to do it well. That's all. And sometimes 
magic happens. You know, you, you just get into a groove and you forget your lines and you're just there. And it works so, out. <laughs> and, it, and it works out great. And then they edit it together and they leave out all the mistakes on the cutting room floor. So you don't see the, the 10 takes they didn't use. You see the 11th take where the, you know, the glaze melted and the crumb stuck. And everybody thinks, oh, man, what is that, a green screen? How did you do that? Was that planned? I mean, that's what everybody asks me. Really? And no, it's just, oh, yeah. Yeah, because they were little kids when they saw that. Mm -hmm. So that was like magic to them. That was like perfect timing. And still, when they're 40, and I'm not joking around about the age, because that was 30 years ago. So 40, they were, that's, they were 10 years old. That's perfect. Mm -hmm. That's exactly when they were watching. So, you know, 40 years later, they still haven't figured it out. And they just remembered it. It's hardwired. That scene. That scene. So that's why I wrote the book. Now, the second book is about, I lived in my car. I mean, I got to go there. I got to, this will be the last thing I'll tell you. It's a real short thing. But, um, uh, uh, at one point, I lived in my car for a year in a Volkswagen van for a year because I was broke, mm -hmm. man. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so I, I, I'm writing my next book. That was about, my, you know, that guy. That, that's about a memoir about me in Hollywood, uh, the 30 years I spent in Hollywood. And, but uh, the, the next one, it's, uh, a mem it's a fake memoir. It's a, yeah, it's a fake memoir. Oh, it's a, I love a fiction. That. <laughs> Yeah, fictional memoir. It's the memoir of a homeless guy who falls in love with a girl who has an apartment. <laughs> so this, and she's nuts. Nice. And so is he. But well, he, well, you know, if you're homeless long enough, you just you become nuts. There's no way around it, man. I mean, you don't have comfort. You're not getting steady sleep. Your nourishment is where you can find it. I mean, your body is is running on fucking empty. Uh, your body is just trying to get through today and, and find a safe place to sleep tonight. So, so if you do that for a year, your head changes. I mean, there's no two ways about it. I mean, you can't even prevent it. It's an autonomic thing, not an automatic thing, an autonomic thing. It's why you blink. That's autonomic. You can't help it. So if you're homeless for a year, your body, your mind changes. To, to accept this new reality of no sleep, very, very bad nourishment, uh, and um, you can't find a safe, and you, you're worried about falling asleep, is it safe, mm -hmm. uh, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, I want, I'm, the fiction is that he wants to not live on the street, so he's trying to get into her apartment, not her pants, her apartment. He says he's a place to live. And she thinks it's romantic, the streets, to being homeless and living on your own. And the tension between the two is just really funny. You know, yeah, she she wants him to not lose his individualism. And he knows that if he goes back and lives in the apartment, he'll just, you know, get a job in a cubbyhole and lose his freedom. But, you know, it's a toss-up. Anyway, that, that's it. But I got to I got to go. What? What time is it? Is it, uh, uh, let's see here. 11.39 your time? Oh, yeah, yeah, 11.30, 11.38, yeah. So I, I got another appointment. But, uh, hey, Chewy, it was great talking. Oh, yeah, thank Chewy. you. And, and thank where you can people pre-order your book or find your stuff? Well, it'll be probably on, uh, you know, Amazon, because everything goes on Amazon. So, yeah, you can start pre-ordering it around, you know, and this is so far in advance, like, October, yeah, so uh, around October, uh, so September, October, September, October of the, of next year, you can start to pre-order uh, it. But meanwhile, I'll just give you a heads up here. I have a book that I wrote. It's short story, funny short story, uh, funny tables called the, the Loopholes Dossier. It's a very cumbersome in the title, the loopholes dossier, L O L O O P H O L E S D O S S I E R, and it's just a bunch of, of funny tables, 
They're just short stories. Yeah, and the value you can get right now, it's on Amazon right now. Uh, unfortunately, from, from my point of view, not from your point of view, but from my point of view, it's a hardcover. So I think it's like 13 bucks, which is a lot of money. But uh, I, I'm trying to get it done into a paperback. But that, that'll gonna, that's going to take months. But if you want it right away, there's a book on sale on uh, Amazon called The Loopholes Dossier. And it's really good. It's, it's also funny. But I'm looking for, uh, yeah, it's, it is sweet. I like that. Can I quote that? Can I put it on the back of the cover? Oh, yeah. Sweet, chewy. Yes. Hey, by yes. the way, how do, you, how do you spell chewy? C-H-U-E-Y? Oh, C-H-U-Y. Oh, that's what I, that's one of the way I wrote it. Chewy. Okay, C-H-U-Y. Right. <laughs> um, okay, chewy, I got to get on my way, but rock on, man. All right, thank great you very much. You. Thanks again. You have a good one. Okay, you too. Bye. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. And if you'd like to support this podcast, check out anchor.fm slash screamingchewygmail.com. Any contribution is greatly appreciated and that makes you my producer. If not, that's cool. I'm just happy you're tuning in. And hey, Screaming Chewy Show merch. Yeah, that's right, at teespring.com. Just Google teespring, T-E-E spring, Screaming Chewy Show. Just Google that, it'll take you right there. And uh, yeah, you could buy hoodies, t-shirts, socks, masks, you know, if there's any stuff you'd like to see on there or purchase, just let me know and I'll add it on. And uh, yeah, you'll be rocking, styling, social media. Don't forget to follow me on there on Facebook, Screaming Chewy Show. I like to share memes, just make up stupid shit, share my episodes on there and just whatever. Um, Check out my YouTube for video versions of my podcast episodes also in between episodes i like to add me streaming yeah watch me get scared playing a creepy game or die playing PUBG or some shit you know what i mean and uh yeah just check out my youtube and uh twitter it's at screaming chewy yeah not screaming chewy show i should change it to that but for now it's just screaming chewy and uh thanks again for tuning in see you next week peace